Get me? So, Father, we just love your word. We trust it. Lord, it's life to us. It is spiritual life to us. We thank you for this bread this morning. And, Lord, we acknowledge that your presence has been so sweet. It already feels like you're lavishing your love on us this morning. And and so as we come to your word, this is just a continuation of that time of worship, of encountering you. Use us for your glory. Use this church for your ministry. Lord, we pray that you would um, use every life, every mother and father, son and daughter in the room, use them for your kingdom. It's our greatest pleasure to serve you. What a joy it is to walk with you, to labor in your harvest. Sharpen us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Somebody say amen. Amen. Well, there are a few mothers in history that are um, church history that you can't really miss. Um, and maybe the most significant would be St. Monica is one to be remembered. She's the mother of St. Augustine, who is probably the most significant thinker in all of church history outside of the Apostle Paul. If you're familiar at all with St. Augustine's Confessions, that was his most popular work where he kind of tells his biography, but he's also sharing the gospel through it. And um, he tells us in Confessions that uh, his father was not a believer. His father would get saved in his later years, but his mother was a believer for um, his life. And his father's strongest motivation was that Augustine would have a great education. And he studied rhetoric and was obviously brilliant and went on to teach rhetoric. And his his mom said to him in his teen years, as he went off to study, she said, um, she warned him not to commit fornication and above all, not to seduce any man's wife. And he writes in confessions that he found himself in the midst of a hissing cauldron of lust. And he would basically say that his life before knowing Christ, was driven by a sexual desire. As he's teaching rhetoric, he gets caught up in a, a movement that's kind of blends Christianity with Gnostic thought. It's heretical. It's called Manichaeism in church history. It's absolutely heretical. And Monica, Jesus loving mama, she finds a bishop who was saved out of Manichaeism, who used to be a part of this heretical sect and now serves Jesus. And Monica, like, harasses the man to talk to St. Augustine. She's chasing him down, begging him to go and speak to her son. The bishop grows so frustrated with her because from his perspective, him talking to Augustine at this point in time isn't going to help anything. And he really just wants this this crazy woman to leave him alone okay so he's so frustrated with her that he shouts he yells go away from me in frustration and then he adds don't worry it's not possible that the son of so many tears should be lost forever the frustrated bishop was right and the son of so many tears would not be lost forever and monica lives to see augustine obviously fall deep in love with jesus and i think on that she could hang her hat she says to augustine augustine records in confessions there was only one reason i wish to remain in this life to see you become a christian she says to augustine the only reason i live was to see you come to know jesus when a mother's heart aches for her children there is an ache that's unmatched there is a longing a desire that is totally unmatched and jesus actually appeals to that longing in our text today uh, the longing that we see in in nature in the maternal makeup when jesus says to jerusalem like a hen i long to gather you together but you would not have me 
Jesus appeals to the deep longing and zeal and passion and conviction that a mother has for the well-being of her children when he says, I longed for you, Jerusalem, but you would not have me. Matthew 23, verse 37 through 30. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, yet you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, up in this, till this point in the series, we have studied the seven woes that Jesus releases against the Pharisees. And until this point in the series, we have said that Jesus is frustrated in our text. Jesus is angry with the religious hypocritical leadership, and he is continually renouncing and rebuking those who lead Israel yet refuse to lead them to God. And so entire series we've said, Jesus is frustrated. What do we learn from Jesus's frustration? But now as Jesus turns his attention from the religious leaders alone to the holistic city of Jerusalem, we see not frustration, but we see sorrow. Now in the heart of Messiah, we see lament. We need to allow these moments in the life of Christ to shape our understanding of who our triune God is. Again, in righteous anger, he tells the Pharisees, you hypocrites. He says, you are spiritually hypocritical. And we learned from his righteous anger towards hypocrisy that he is not pleased with facades and he wants to see us sincere in our faith. He says, you clean the outside of the cup, but the inside of the cup is filthy. We learn from the frustration of Jesus that he has a value within himself, a conviction that honors consistency and sincerity. We learn Jesus does not like insincerity. And when he says, those who swear by the temple are not bound by their words, but those who swear by the gold are bound, he says, that's what you teach. He calls them blind guides. And we learn that Jesus is concerned that we honor our words. There's a value within Jesus that, that, that demands of us that we uphold our word. We learn Jesus is serious about our vows. But now, in this moment, we turn from anger and we turn from, from exploring the convictions and frustrations of Christ to exploring the sorrow of Christ, the longing of Christ. And it's, it's incredibly important, incredibly important that you consider the, the incarnation here, that the man that we read of, the man that we study is the tri, he is God in the flesh. He is deity. He is the reflection of the entire trinity in the earth. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father, he says. And so, in a very real way, we have God lamenting here. We see God's sorrow. I've told you before, that's why I'm not a fan of little 
sayings that we say to one another. God's always in a good mood. And I, and I agree that God always loves His children. But God is, 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 is not moody, number one, nor is He always pleased in the sense of emotional response. Sometimes God laments. Sometimes God feels great sorrow. We learn from Luke's gospel that Jesus will look out over Jerusalem and weep. God weeping. Tears streaming from his eyes as he grieves. God laments. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that's a semantic a Semitic thing there when you repeat a phrase twice to, to put on display your seriousness or sobriety about what you're saying. It's as if Jesus is saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, listen, listen. And there, as we study the New Testament church, our spiritual ears should perk up because here we are learning of our God. We are learning who our God is, what the heart of our God is like. So he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city who kills the prophets, the city who stones those who are sent to it. You stone those who are sent to you. We learn that that God has intentionally commissioned prophets, scribes, and teachers to Jerusalem for generations. God is sending prophets. God is sending teachers. And their cry is, turn back to God. Turn back to Yahweh. Cling to Him. Return to your covenant with God. God has systematically sown prophets to Jerusalem to call her to repent, but she stones and murders those whom He sends. We said last week that it's the jealousy of God for his covenant with Jerusalem that calls her to repentance. He gives us the picture of Hosea following his wayward wife, calling her back to himself. And in a very real way, way, God says, this is how I am. I'm constantly following you, Jerusalem, calling you back to myself. Yes, the prophets pronounce judgment. They will pronounce a coming judgment. If the people refuse to return. But God says that his desire is always for repentance, for restoration. The father runs towards the prodigal. He does not delight in the death of the wicked. It's not his will that any should perish, but all should return to repentance. Though many will perish, though many will experience judgment, because rather than receive the word of the prophet and embrace God's call to return, they will Murder the prophets. Look with me quickly to Matthew chapter 21, verse 33 through 40. Jesus tells this parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard, and he put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower, and he leased it to tenants and went into another country. And when the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and they beat one. They killed another, and they stoned another. And again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us come kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? What is Jesus saying through this parable? 
The master has sent his servants. Sent his servants. And you've continually denied, rejected, murdered, and stoned the servants. And so the master says, I'll send my own son. Surely they will respect my own son. But Jesus, speaking prophetically, says, they will take the son out of the vineyard, murder him, and kill him. And what is Jesus saying? I am the, the culmination of God's sending to cry to you. I am the fullest manifestation of God's longing for Jerusalem. Systematically, for decades, for centuries, for thousands of years, God has sent to you Isaiah, and God sent to you weeping and wailing Jeremiah, and God sent to you Ezekiel with heavenly visions, and you murdered, and you stoned, and you killed, and now God has sent to you His own Son. And what will you do? But murder and deny Him. The heir of all existence. The son whose inheritance is the entire universe. Jesus who is God of God. The king of all. And what will Jerusalem do? They'll shout down, crucify him. They'll spit in the face of God. And Jesus is known from the beginning. That's where this is going. And groaning over Jerusalem in agony. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The city who murders those who God sends. I long to have you. What drives Jesus' sorrow here? Why do we find God lamenting? Why do we find God broken? Is he lamenting? Is he broken over his coming crucifixion? Oh, the hour is coming where Jesus will lay in Gethsemane and weep and pray great drops of blood and sweat as he cries out, mourning the future murder crushing that he'll experience but that's not the lament that we find here jesus says like a like a mother hen i long to gather you under my wings how i would have gathered your children to myself what's the sorrow of the hour what's the lament of the hour christ jesus own longing for the people of israel he has within himself a deep ache to have his bride, to have Israel, and his ache is being denied. It's as if there's a hunger within the heart of God that is being starved out as he longs for these people. He says, I long to gather you to myself. I, I long to be your comfort, Jerusalem. The way that chicks are comforted by a mother hen. He said, I long to be your shelter. I long to protect you. I longed to be your provision. I longed to be your place of safety. I longed to be your place of comfort. I longed to be that for you. But you would not have me. Desire to hold you, to be your hiding place. Yet you were unwilling. And here we find Jesus' heart for the harvest, for people. We find what really moves God. I long to have you, but you're unwilling. Many in our day, church, hear me for a second. Many in our day, in our region, in our families, they've heard the gospel for maybe decades. They've heard the message. God loves you. Turn and have him. And they continue to reject him. They continue to deny him. 
in a very real way. Jesus is the culmination of God sending prophets into the earth to beckon people to himself. Yet then Jesus says, as the Father sent me, I send you. He says, go into all the nations, preach the gospel. And so in a very real way, we are called to to hear the broken heart longing of God and to carry on the commission to beckon the world, turn back to him. Many in our own families have heard the beckoning of God for generations, yet they're unwilling to come. And that produces in God, what is is Jesus' response to Israel's rejection? Lament. Sorrow. Why did they crucify the Son of God, the rightful King of all? Because they wanted to be their own gods. Why, throughout this entire study, has Jesus been so frustrated, in particular, with the scribes and Pharisees? Because they are religious leadership who are using religion not to promote the broken heart of God longing for people, but they're using religion to create a platform to express their own gifts and to explore their own glory. They have used Judaism to woo the crowds, not unto God, but unto themselves. What is Jesus' frustration here? Why is he fuming? Because they don't know the heart of God. They didn't really want God to be worshipped. They wanted to be worshipped. And we need to make sure that we don't do the same thing in our hour. Hear me for a second, because I'm not talking about any other church. I'm talking about our church. I'm talking about our family. There's a temptation, and I do think other churches have explored it. There's a temptation to use church as a means to display our own gifts. That's why I think we have a problem with with personality cults in the church today. We have built these empires so that we can display the gift of a man. And the congregation is wooed by the charisma of a leader. They are not wooed to the heart of Christ. They're they're wooed to the personality of a leader. And, And many times we'll go down these paths of saying, we're building God's kingdom, we're building God's kingdom, we're building... Look, we're doing these things, we're compromising in these areas. We're We're watering down our worship and watering down our message because we're building God's kingdom. And we're not. We're using religion to build our own kingdoms and to exalt our own glory. And we're not above that temptation. You hear me? Again, I'm not talking about other churches. I'm talking about us. We've got to be sure that what we're doing here is responding to the broken longing of Christ and Christ alone. It's not about any man's glory. It's not about your gifting. Sit down. Jesus alone will be exalted here. We find Jesus saying, how I long to gather you. And I'm going to just say this morning, he's still longing. He still longs, church. It's a shame that so often the church in our day gets caught up in watering down the the gospel's fire, the, the real zeal of the gospel, to use religion to have bigger buildings and bigger budgets and to pat ourselves on the back and say, we've done something, but we're not doing anything unless we hear the zeal of Christ, the broken heart of Jesus, and call people to return to Him. Not to return to church twice a month, half glazed over.
we've got to hear the broken heart of God. Again, carry the imagery of Monica. It was, I can, forgive me because I can't remember which biographer said it, but one Augustine will talk about God as the hound of heaven that was pursuing him all his life. And someone said, it was, there was the hound of heaven pursuing him, then there was the hound of earth. It was Monica chasing him down everywhere he went. And, 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 and Jesus, is in a very real way, is calling you to reflect on that kind of mama bear, maternal, I'm, I, I will lay my life down to see these kids prosper. You, you know what I'm talking about? Um, and, and Jesus is saying, that's how my heart aches for you. Evangelism. We say our mission is to see this community come to have an encounter with God. Evangelism, our mission, our efforts must have undergirding it this lament. When we do evangelism, we must have under all of that a broken, tearful desire for this region to know Christ. The bridegroom who is fully in love with a wayward bride, who aches to have her. Why is the church prayerless? Many times because the church has not lain on the ground in the secret place and felt God's desire, God's zeal. When we're broken by the lament of God, we have to call others to repentance and faith. Why can't we water down the message? Because the jealousy of God rages for the entire heart of a man. God, Jesus here, is not lamenting, I want more religion. We need more religion. We need more people to sit their butts in a chair twice a month and days off as they listen to some man ramble. That would really please me. That's what I'm really after. The jealousy of God rages for your entire heart. He wants all of you. He wants the deep places of you. He's not content with you half loving him and half loving sex or money or prominence or other gods. He's not into you really longing for influence and ego and then kind of loving God on the side. He doesn't want to be your side girl kind of thing. Christ is not satisfied with anything less than fiery love, church. Lay down lovers of himself and himself alone. When he longs for a city, he doesn't long that they learn to wear church clothes. He longs that they learn to have hearts of fiery, intimate, passionate, zealous love for God. And why can't we water down the message? Because we're not saying to our city, wear church clothes and use Christianese. We're saying, put your face in the carpet. Put all of your life on the altar and burn with fire for Christ and Christ alone. We can't change that call to appease unbelievers. We can't water down that message so that we'll be more palatable. It's not our goal to look at culture, be like culture, try to feel like culture so that culture feels comfortable here. Because our goal is not just to get them to look like us or dress like us or know our songs. Our goal is to have their heart pierced with the gospel. Bow in repentance and give all of their lives to Christ. Christ wants the whole heart of a man. That's why we can't water down our message. 
That's why we can't let our worship be about what people like or want to hear. Our worship is about what Christ likes, what Christ wants to hear, what brings Christ pleasure. When we get ready to enter into corporate worship, we must first consider, do these songs really please Him? Not do we, will we please the unbeliever and make them feel comfortable because we want them to come to church twice a month and be glazed over? We need to intensify the call. We need to carry God's own heart and His own desire, His own fervency and zeal. We need to recognize in the text this morning the lament of Jesus, the longing of God. We need to respond to that lament by carrying His zeal to evangelize and really call in the same way that the prophets called the people to turn. Of course, we need to declare the love of God. Yes, God loves the world so much that He gave His own Son. We need to declare declare that clearly and graciously. But the message is not, God loves you, so continue in your rebellion and feel better about yourself. The message is, God loves you. He wants your whole heart today, now. Don't walk another hour without turning to Him. The message is not, I understand that you have low self-esteem. God loves you. The message is, God is, he is fiery, zealous, in love with you. He wants you. You catch that nuance? Not continue on, do as you will. God loves you, feel better. No, God wants you. Really wants you. He wants all of us. Jealous for all of our affections. He grieves and mourns and laments and tears roll from his eyes as he, as we continue to chase after other idols. He laments when we crown ourselves as king and live in selfish idolatry. He's not okay with us just worshiping ourselves. He laments when we pursue sexual desire above honoring God. He laments because he is jealous. He's saying to Jerusalem, I love you. Yes, God loves you. I want you. And I want all of you. And I think it's perfectly appropriate in light of the rest of the New Testament to conclude that Jesus has that same desire for us sitting in this room this morning. He would say, yes, I love you. I don't just love you, though, in this passive laid-back sense. I want you. And I want all of you this morning. We've gotten so used to hearing the gospel shared in such a way that it says, God loves you. Just go on about your life. Don't feel insecure. And, and, and that's not the gospel. The gospel is I love you and I want you. I want all of you in a covenantal, intimate relationship where I alone am your God. When we sing this morning, I am yours and you are mine. We need to understand those nuances, those teachings from the scripture where it very clearly teaches that we are God's and God is ours. He offers himself to us that we would in some strange way in union possess God as our own lover. And he would possess us as his own lover. We can't just sing those songs and continue on in modern stale Christianity. 
And then Jesus closes with, I longed for you like a mother hen longs for chicks. I longed to gather you, to be your comfort. He's lamenting here. And then he says, but you denied me. And so there's judgment coming. Your house will be left desolate. We've said it many times before. Jesus is clearly prophesying the destruction of the temple, which will take place in the year AD 70. The temple that proud men have turned, which was intended to be a place where Israel encountered the glory of God. Now proud religious men have turned it into a place of commerce, a place of of patting one another's religion on the back. It's no longer a place where people come to experience God's glory. It's a place where people come to experience the glory of religious men. And so God says, not one stone will be left on top of another. I will utterly destroy the entire thing. I will not allow you, Israel, to continue to deny me. And church, we need to, we, we need to be sure that we remember that there's still judgment in the gospel message. We're not doing anyone a favor by skipping over eternal judgment, hell, the lake of fire. The message that God releases is, I love you, I want you, I want all of you, and if you refuse to come to me, you will be judged for your sin, for your wickedness. We know from history, again, that just a few decades later, the temple's destroyed, and it's left destroyed, and Israel still should be pondering why God allowed the temple to lay and waste. And Jesus closes saying, but you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And interestingly enough, Jesus here quotes Psalm 118 again, which is the same Psalm that the crowds were quoting as Jesus entered in on the, the triumphal entry on the, on Palm Sunday. They're quoting Hosanna, Hosanna. That's from Psalm 118. The Hebrew there literally reads, save us. Psalm 118 verse 22 through 26. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. So Jesus quotes to them the same psalm that they just shouted at him. Save us, Hosanna, Hosanna. And then he essentially says, this isn't over yet. What was started on Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, when you shouted, save us, save us, it's not finished yet. There will be a day when Israel will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And on that day, you will see me again. He will return. In conclusion, worship team, if you guys will come. Jesus ends his longest rebuke, seven woes, where he pronounces dissatisfaction and future judgment on the scribes and Pharisees seven times. He has now denounced them. He ends it by shifting his attention from the religious leadership and explaining to us what was under it all along. All along, the frustration was actually driven by the lament, the sorrow, the, the, the unfulfilled longing that God had for the people of Jerusalem. So as we get ready to wrap up this morning, we, we need to ask ourselves the question, are we sure we've seen this side of God? In our theology, from a purely theological standpoint, have you considered the lament of Yahweh, of our triune God? The longing, the ache, the zeal for his people. Have you embraced a modern perspective of God, which again says that God is kind of the cosmic grandfather who's always just loves to have you whenever you can, but you to go on about your business. 
have we embraced that concept or have we from the text of scripture seen Christ revealing the very heart of God to us when God says, I long to have you. Like a mother hen would gather her chicks. I long to gather you, but you wouldn't have me. Do you know that zeal, that brokenness in God's heart? Until we know that brokenness, we'll never know intercession, what it means to really pray and cry. And until we know that brokenness, I think that even our evangelism will be tainted by selfish motives. We'll be more concerned with how many people we can lead to the Lord so we can tell everybody how many people we led to the Lord than we are actually concerned with people giving all of their hearts to Christ. Therefore, we will water down and compromise the message because our desire is to tout people in front of other people to say, look at how successful we are. Our, our desire is not actually to see people bow the knee to Christ. Are we sure we've got the gospel right? Do we understand the violent, aggressive, zealous love of God for us? Are we calling our region to, to turn to God in repentance and faith and to put all of their hearts in his hands? Or do we embrace a tamer, watered-down gospel that merely tips the hat to God's jealousy? Jesus laments, he mourns, God grieves, God knows sorrow. If you would stand to your feet. An altar team, if you guys would get ready, get in place. This morning, if you've never given your life to Christ, I, I would just ask you to ponder this concept this morning, that the same way that a mama longs and aches and chases a child that God says that's the same way that I've chased you it's the same way that I desire you maybe you do feel insecure maybe you do feel unwanted God wants all of you this morning he wants your entire heart the scripture says that your sins your guilt your sexual sins your financial sins your jealousy or your bitterness none of that has any bearing on your future relationship with God because Jesus bore your sins on the cross of Calvary so you could say, oh, I can't come to God because I did this or I told this lie or I had, I've been involved in this sexual misconduct. And we would say to you, that's a complete and total lie. You can come to God because Christ lived perfectly and suffered on your behalf. Your sins are not keeping you out. Your rebellion's keeping you out this morning. Your unwillingness to bow your knee to Jesus. If that's you this morning, we want you to hear that God does not just offer you salvation. He deeply longs for you to have salvation for you to come to him. He aches to have you. You may feel unwanted. You're not unwanted this morning. God's arms are open wide, desires to have you. So if that's you, as we move into altar ministry, we would ask you to come. We can lead you in a simple prayer and you can know this morning that you belong to him and that he belongs to you. Next, as we pray this morning, I. I just want us to worship for another moment. I want the altars to be open to anyone who, who, who needs to just have a fresh, we, we used to call it a baptism of love. You need just a fresh reminder of God's love for you. you maybe you know it intellectually, but internally you've lived in despair. We want to pray this morning that God would just reveal by the power of the Holy Spirit, who is present in this room this morning, would reveal God's violent love towards you. And that you could leave here this morning knowing that you're cherished and prized and wanted. You felt unwanted, but 
God says this morning, I want all of you. As always, if you're struggling with any sickness, we would love to pray for you or any oppression, depression, those kind of things. We'd love to pray for you before you go. So if you will, the altars are open. Seth, if you guys, Michael, if you would lead us in worship just for a second, we're going to ask God just to bathe us in his love. And again, if you want to give your life to Christ, don't hesitate this morning. Come on, don't deny his longing anymore. Don't deny him. Jesus. Hesitate this morning. You're still my only one. Yes, Jesus. You're still my first love. You're really all I want. And you're still my only one. You're still my first love. We respond to your this morning with worship. You're still my only one, yeah. You're still my first love. You're still my only one. You're the only one, King Jesus. Show us your heart, God. Show us your heart, God. I feel my heart beating out of my chest. I want to stay forever like this. May the flame of my heart always be lit. I want to burn forever like this. Do that for me. Again. I feel my heart Come on, as we close, let's just make this a declaration. We want to burn for you, Jesus. I want to stay. We want the heart of this church to be zealous to know you, to love you and love you alone. Let our homes be places of intimacy. Let every idol fall. We just say this morning, Jesus, you can have all of us. You have all of me. If you would just open your hands, we'll close with that. You can have all of me this morning, Jesus. You can have all of me this morning, Jesus. I surrender. I surrender to your violent love. Lord, do it in this church. Make us a people who love you and love you alone. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody say amen. Amen. Well, look, the altars are going to stay open. The worship team is going to stay up. If you still need ministry, don't hesitate. We'd love to pray for you. But if not, you are officially dismissed. We love you so much, mothers and spiritual mamas. We just want you to know how much we love you. Y'all have a blessed Mother's Day.
Please.